0: Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I am here with Dinah Lynn, and let me share a little bit about Dinah to get us started today. So Dinah's life exemplifies her message. It's never too late. She didn't begin her career until age 36 after being a full-time mom for 15 years, then received her MBA from Columbia Business School at age 40, and proceeded to climb the corporate ladder, finally breaking the glass ceiling, becoming a corporate vice president at a Fortune 500. At age 58, she made the decision to move to Beijing to study Chinese and reconnect with her roots. A year turned into a decade as she witnessed the transformation of China. Since returning from Beijing in the year 2010, Dinah has realized a long-held dream to be an author, publishing her best-selling memoir in 2015 at the age of 73. Her memoir is called Daring to Dream Once Again, It's Never Too Late. The title, she says, is her challenge to herself, as she almost gave up her dream of writing a book, and she has a great story about this that I hope she shares. So a bit more about Dinah's background. She was born in Shanghai and grew up in Ohio, Wow, what a contrast there. And as a young wife and mother, she lived for 15 years in Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and the Philippines. Prior to moving to Beijing in the year 2000, Dinah was an international executive and entrepreneur with two decades of experience ranging from high-tech startups to Fortune 500 companies. Her expertise include marketing, corporate communications, and international business development. Dinah also served as an appointed senior official in the George H.W. Bush administration from 1989 to 1992 in Washington, D.C. Dinah, thank you so much for coming on to the Me Time Midlife podcast. Oh,
1: Kim, it is such a pleasure, such a pleasure to reconnect with you and such an honor to be asked to to do this. I am so pleased to be here.
0: Well, the honor is all mine. So thank you so much for spending your time here with us today and and sharing a little bit more about your story. But I have to start with the question I ask every guest, which is, what do you enjoy doing during your me time, Dinah?
1: Well, Kim, I am so fortunate that I've reached the stage of my life where I have lots of me time. Yes. I really can't say that I have any external demands on my time. All my demands are internal, (laughs) and and they're, they're quite a lot, so I keep very busy. I feel that one of my favorite things is just to keep learning, and I just finished an online course called The Creation Frequency with Mike Murphy, and right now I'm doing another online course called the energy uh, medicine with Donna Eden. And I'm in an year-long program called Your Year of Miracles. So that plus reading books like Joe Dispenza, uh, Becoming Supernatural, all of this self-learning. I just love it. And I'm glad that I have the time to do this. But I do have to say, I think my favorite me time is time that I spend with my five-year-old granddaughter. And she's the main reason that I moved down here uh, three years ago from the Bay Area, and I just love being with her. And you know, it's playtime. <laughs> That's her favorite <laughs> thing is play. Right. I think her first two words that she said to me when she was about two or a year and a half was "play, play." Right. That. that was her first word. <laughs> right. She still says that to me. Let's right. Play. Right. Um, which really is so good for me, because I think for many years, I mean, I know for many years, I thought playing was really a waste of time. I thought mm. how unproductive it is to play. And it really, it, I had that insight, I think, why I was writing my book. I had lots of insights. Right. I was writing my book. And that was one of them, that I grew up with this, you know, this notion that playing was not, yes, it was just something we I didn't think about doing. So it's wonderful to be with her and to play and play guilt-free.
0: Ah, that's right. Playing guilt-free, right. I can imagine that uh, play was not a big part of your life when you were in the corporate world and, I mean, starting your career so late, well, quote unquote, late, but it is never too late, right, (laughs) to use your words.
1: I know. And, and, you know, I, um, I think subconsciously, and this was another insight I had at one point is that I subconsciously I was making up for lost time Mm. because I felt I had started so much later than other people. So I just felt like I needed to work twice as hard, which I did. And, um, and it, you know, it, it worked out for me. Working twice as hard got me to where I was going. Um, I realize now, oh, I realized then too, my life was totally out of balance. Mm. I know that's one thing that you're trying to help. I think your audience is to have more balance in their life.
0: Yeah. Well, I I guess instead of balance, I like to call it like harmony, right? There's times where, there's times in our lives where we have to, you know, uh, work more, right? And there's times for, there's just times for, there's different seasons and times for that, right? But what I don't, what I don't believe is that women should neglect their self-care um, because it's a part of your professional performance, right? When you take care of yourself, the better you take care of yourself, the better you're going to perform professionally. So if they see it as that, then, you know, you can see the importance and begin to take those steps.
1: Absolutely. And I will say that, you know, when you're younger, you can get get away. Yes, get sure, away Not putting that much attention on your health right um, you know I know that I didn't I I neglected and I got away with it when I was younger but that's just up with you as some you know your body is going to just yes have the effects of not having led this life healthy life
0: absolutely I would say definitely if not earlier at least by the time you hit 30 um, your body's a lot more resilient you can you know you can yeah. work on sleepless nights and, you know, you can eat bad food and you could still have a lot of energy and all that. So Dinah, where, oh my gosh, you have this incredible story. First of all, why don't you preface everything here by telling us your current age?
1: Oh, all right. Sometimes it's the, last, uh, the best for the last. No, uh,
0: I am 77. 77. Yes. And I wanted to share that because I think it's so important. Um, to recognize that you you play right, you play at seventy seven. That you're a lifelong learner at seventy seven. You're taking courses, you know. You're writing books. You're doing these things, and so it is really like you said, never too late. So, where can you tell us a story? Tell us a story. Where can we start? I don't know where to go with One this. One of yeah.
1: my favorite. I know. I have so many stories. Um, <laughs> I I would say we can start from the beginning, and sure. what I think sure. of as the beginning is in 1949, the communists were moving south and they were right outside of Shanghai. And um, my father was in the States at the time. He was in Ohio on a one year grant, research grant. And he was getting ready to go back to China. And my mom wrote to him and said, no, don't come back. She said, stay. She said, somehow I'm going to get the children and myself out. And there was my older sister, my younger brother, myself. And I have no idea how my mom thought she was going to be able to get us out, escape, because everyone was trying to escape, you know, the communists. And there were people who were fleeing to Taiwan, to um, Hong Kong, to uh, Australia, to Europe. But she was able to do this. It was just amazing to me when I think back on it the courage and the determination that she had, that she was able to get tickets for us and we were able to get onto this boat. And it was the last boat leaving Shanghai. Wow. And on the way to Hong Kong, um, we ran into a really bad storm and everyone threw their one piece of luggage overboard, you know, and the boat almost capsized because we were so overloaded, but we made it to Hong Kong. We wow. made it. And, and, you know, from, I was seven at the time, and um, I do remember that trip. And from then on, I, I feel I had such immense gratitude. Mm. That growing up, I remember there were times when I thought, "But for the grace of God, we, you know, we would have been in China. And I would have been a Red Guard. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know." And I've always felt such immense gratitude to um, to be both American and Chinese. Mm. This, and I just one of my favorite speeches that I gave when I was in Washington D.C. was called "The Best of Both Worlds." Hmm. And I've just always had this feeling that you know I'm just doubly blessed to hmm. to be both. And so this gratitude—of course, I was too young to even know the
0: word—but
1: right. a sense of gratitude has always been with me. And I just believe it's been an important—I don't know—maybe you could just say touchstone for me, you know, growing up. And so that's the story that I love to share.
0: Mm, that's great. And how has gratitude helped you just, oh my gosh, you know, create all these successes for yourself in your life and to have this determination. I mean, is it in your blood or, you know, is it nature? Is it nurture? What, <laughs> where did, where'd you get this drive to to break the glass ceiling and to accomplish so much like Later in life, like you said, than most people do and being a woman on top of that and a minority, right?
1: Yes (laughs) I remember in my first job after my MBA This was the my boss's boss and it was a few days after I had started working and he was passing me in the hallway And he said just kind of offhandedly. They got two points for you And it kept on walking and I thought to myself who got two points for me. What is he talking about? And it wasn't until later I realized, oh, he's talking about HR, human resources, because I'm a woman, and I'm a minority. Right. And, you know, I d- I thought, well, I'm j- I know for a fact they didn't hire me because of that.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yes. But anyway, um, where did I get this? You know, I feel like part of it is because, and I remember this as well, as a young child, I always felt like I needed to be a model student, mm. a model person you know we were the only chinese family living in this small town in ohio and i felt that you know we just needed to be a good representation and here i am very young child and so this was not articulated in my head but it was just my feeling i needed to be a really good representation and so i always strive to be the best student and i was (laughs) so i graduated val victorian eighth grade Um, I And I wanted to make my parents proud. You know, I felt like they worked so hard, and it was so hard for us to be able to come to this country and for my mom to realize her dream of the American dream. Yes. You know, she loved this country. And so I just felt like I needed to always be my very best. Okay. So I think from just early, you know, that what they say about a child up until the age of seven, and it's so important, Yes, and so I feel really blessed that this gratitude was, you can say, inculcated in me at a very early age. Mm. And to me, gratitude is really the most important, you can say, attitude.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's, it's thankfulness to another level. Yes. And it's counting your blessings when you're tempted to look at all that you don't have, perhaps. Mm-hmm. and I know that in my hardest times I've kept a gratitude journal I mean I keep it all the time but especially when I was going through rough times I had a gratitude journal and I would always write in it every night you mm-hmm. know the things that I would be great that I'm grateful for so I think I'm just blessed that I have this sense from the time I right well
0: oh, that's great so um tell us okay so so when i introduced you you um you know you there's a part of the book that i mean you didn't you almost didn't write the book right yeah. was that a, <laughs> well, so it almost didn't come into fruition right um you almost gave up on that what what was happening there
1: well you know i know that writing a book for whatever reason was always one of my lifelong you know you say your lifelong goals sure and at various times at different companies, maybe you take a psychological test and they ask you for your goals. And I just know, I always wrote that down, but I didn't give it that much thought. I was just one of those things that I wanted to do. So, but it was always there. And I really, yes, I was too busy with say, life. So I thought, oh, one of these days I'll write a book. And of course I had no idea what book to write. You know, what was I going to write? At least that's what I told myself. I told myself, Oh, I don't know what to write, but you know, it will come to me. And so when I came back from Beijing, having lived there for a decade, that was an incredible decade. And that's something I almost didn't do either. Mm. And of course it was life changing. But I came back from Beijing and I didn't really plan on what I was going to do. You know, so suddenly here I am after living in Beijing for a decade and having a very full life over there. I was doing consulting. I was very active in the American Chamber of Commerce. And here I am back and I go, oh, all right. (laughs) I didn't really have a plan on what I wanted to do. I just felt it was time for me to come back, you know, because I had two grandchildren at that point. Um. And this thing about writing a book was still in my head. One day I was driving, and I remember this so well, so vividly, driving. And seemingly out of nowhere, I started to cry. And the crying just became, you know, sobbing. And I practically had to pull over and stop. And then I remember thinking to myself, my gosh, Jain, are you, you know, falling apart? Are you having, you know, what's going on here? And I realized that the crying came from this deep sadness that I had inside me. And the sadness came from the fact that I felt I was giving up on my dream. I wasn't doing anything about writing a book. And, you know, it just, yes, that's where it came from. And I knew that. And I also knew, it just, I knew from deep within that this was something I had to do no matter what i said i have to write this book this is a dream i can't let it go i can't let it die and i made a vow to myself no matter what i was going to start writing a book mm. and then i started to take action steps you know attend some conferences for would be authors and authors and what do you do what's the first step and you know you start to take action but i just knew that and i remember thinking i don't It doesn't matter if no one reads the book, I'm writing it first and foremost for myself and then as a legacy for my children and grandchildren. And I had no, in the beginning, it was going to be a self-help book uh, using examples from my own life. But again, after I finally started writing, what came out were stories of my own life. So it became a memoir, which was even scarier than a regular (laughs) book.
0: Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So the book is called Daring to Dream. Why daring? Do you see dreams as daring or?
1: I I see people being, I don't, well, again, for my, it was really for myself that I, you know, I Mm. was, Dinah, you've, you know, realized other dreams in your lifetime. And I, probably could say that writing a book was scariest thing I've ever done. Hmm. You're putting putting yourself out there and you could let yourself go down this rabbit hole of, oh, what if it's, you know, nobody reads it. And what if I get terrible reviews on Amazon and how am I going to live, you know, with Mm -hmm. that? And what will people think? And you can go really just down a rabbit hole of scaring yourself to death, which, you know, there's a tendency, but then I would pull myself back and that's when I came to the con- you know conclusion. Doesn't matter what <laughs> anyone thinks. Mm. It's just something I had to do. And daring was really daring myself. Mm. Um, don't you know? Don't don't be afraid and and don't give in to your fears. And you know, I honestly feel everyone has a book within them, but maybe not everyone feels that they must you know share and you know write their book but I think it would be a good practice if people journaling kind of is like that in a way, you know, if you journal. Right. But as I mentioned, I had so many aha moments and I gained so much insight um, in the process. I joined uh, this wonderful person who's a coach for authors, uh, Christine closer. And she has this course, which is wonderful, online course. And write by numbers, she says, and writing a book, especially if it's well just writing any book, is a transformational experience. And and it's very true, especially a book, you know, like mine.
0: Right right it's a journey it really is it's not something you can complete overnight you know it takes a long time and a lot of editing and a lot of vulnerability and you know revisiting all the stories and all of that and your thing your dream was a book right you had accomplished all these things in your life but the but the book was something that you still really wanted to do now for people listening who maybe their dream is not a book but it's something else um something you've shared with me is that um you said that we tend to talk ourselves out of our dreams you know so what kind of wisdom can you share with people listening who um uh, maybe they have a dream too and let's get over the fact that it's too late because you've proven to us that it's never too late never right too late. and here it's at 77 an yeah and and here at 77 you you know, you're still learning, you're still doing things, you know, you're enjoying your life, you're enjoying your family, um, and all of that. So what what can you share with those listening who still have dreams, but feel like it's maybe too late or are, are talking themselves out of it in some way?
1: Okay, I'm so glad you asked that. And um, I again, I think I, I will share a story. And, and this this is um, another dream that I had that I almost didn't follow through on. After I left the corporate world, I was doing a few other things. I had a small business, and I realized I wasn't having any fun, and I wasn't making any money. And so I thought, well, this sucks.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> um,
1: so I asked myself, you know, you go through these self, you know, um, inquiries. What, what did I really want to do? And I came up with the answer. I really wanted to go to Beijing. I wanted to go to China to live, study Chinese. I knew I loved the language because I took a year of it. You know, when I was at Barnard, I, we had to have two languages. I had three years of French and one year of Chinese, and I loved it. And we didn't speak it growing up because we were trying to help my mom with her English. So we spoke English at home, but I loved the language. And so I said, okay, I want to go to Beijing. And it made no sense at the time because at the time I really needed money. I needed to, you know, actually, because of uh, my own, uh, something that I did myself, I lost a great deal of my own money. And I'll tell you what it was. I was in the stock market (laughs) during the tech bubble. And and so, you know, the left brain said, Dinah, get a job, any job. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get a job. And so the thing was how to break this news to my mom, because, you know, and, and I, one day I was in the kitchen, her kitchen, and I just blurted it out. I said, mom, I've given this a lot of thought. And what I really want to do is to go to Beijing and study Chinese. And she looked at me and she didn't say anything for, it seemed like, I don't know, a long minute. And then she said, Dinah, at your age? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's all she said.
0: Right. You
1: know? And she was being, and I, she was being loving. She was being a loving, caring mom. Right. She thought of me, and you know what age I was at the time? I was 58. Mm. And she thought of me traveling halfway around the world. I didn't know anyone. I needed a job. Right. <laughs> What was i doing you know going off and it made no sense logically mm. but i listened to my heart mm. my heart just wanted to go to china and i thought okay i'm going to make it work i don't know how but i'm going to make it work and as i say in my book you know i have lots of life lessons but if you ask me the most important life lesson I would say is listen to your heart
0: Hmm.
1: heart will not lead you astray and the left brain is wonderful and always take that into consideration the pros and the cons and the planning and the strategy all of that comes in but at the end it's the heart that really you know uh, a person should listen to if I listened to my left brain, I would never have gone to Beijing. And that would have been to when I think back at that, what would I have missed? It was incredible, incredible, but it made no logical sense to do that.
0: Right. Yeah. And you've said dreams don't come from the head. They come from the heart.
1: Very true. Very true. Yes. Plans, come Plan from the head, strategy come, goals come from the head. The dreams come from the heart
0: yes but
1: yeah. the head can of course help you to reach it right let the head talk you out of it
0: right you No. Know? right you need both you need both absolutely. you can't just have the head like you said and you can't just have the heart you can't just go with no plan whatsoever right they have to work together absolutely yeah absolutely. but the heart really comes in when when times are tough Right, it, we're we're reminded that the the heart reminds us why we're doing it, why, why we chose to start it in the first place.
1: Right, the why.
0: Yeah, and
1: even yes, even if it seems. Well, I would say if it becomes a toss-up, the head or the heart. Listen right. to your heart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> your heart, because it knows beyond what the head knows. It yes. knows things that the head doesn't know.
0: Yes. I had
1: no idea that once I got to Beijing, they were looking for anyone who's a native English speaker could get a job tutoring. Mm. And there was this big school that, you know, focused on helping students who wanted to go abroad. And it was very easy to get a part-time job there, which I did right away.
0: Before we go, tell us now at 77, where are you in your life? Besides playing with your granddaughter and learning and all those things that you love to do. Where are you now when it comes to all of this?
1: I am learning to, uh, I was going to say, to leave myself alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning to uh, be in a state of what I call beingness. Hmm. I would say this part uh, of my life started maybe two years ago. I was in a year long program with Marsha Weeder. And during that, process, I decided I wanted to focus on beingness because I spent so much of my life, especially the corporate years, on doing this. I gave so much uh, emphasis and, you know, doing this was the thing to do. And the whole idea of beingness seemed a little strange, actually, to myself. But I just felt like I wanted to, to do that. I wanted to be more and to allow myself to be more and I I wrote a blog on my website called Being This Versus Doing This, and to allow myself, even if I outwardly do nothing, to be perfectly happy, uh, at peace, contented, and not to have this from habit almost, this feeling that I must be doing something that I don't really have to be doing anything <laughs> and to be happy with that and to be contented. Um, and this is a phase that I would say, I've been working on this and I still get these moments where I feel like, oh my gosh, I should be doing something. And there's plenty that I could be doing, very frankly. And I do from time to time, you know, like a workshop here and there, a talk here and there. But do I want to revamp my website and? Do I want to, you know, go out and do a lot of speeches and keynotes and do I want to be on TED? That's a thought too. Mm -hmm. You know, give a TED talk. I want all of that to come from well, to not come from my ego. Mm. I want to be sure if I want to do something like that, it's not because the ego is telling me I need to do that for the attention or for whatever. And that I'm doing it because I love to do it. I want to do it. I do it from a place of really wanting to share my message and to inspire other people to come from that place. And then, and I feel that when we come from a place of, of flow, come from a place of inspiration, it's easy. It's really easy and it just flows. And that's, where I wish to be so if I do anything I want it to be easy and fun and as Marcia says and makes money Uh there there, that's what I want to do just right she calls it F-E-M fun easy and makes money that's for me why not at this stage of my life or at any stage of your life I would say
0: sure sure Wow. Well, thank you so much, Dinah, for coming on to the Me Time Midlife podcast. Can you share your website? I'll put it in the show notes also, but share it here for us now. Yes.
1: It's the, T-H-E, Dinah Lynn, dot com.
0: Great. So you have your blog there, you have your book there, um, and more information about your story that I encourage people to go and read. Thank you. And it's so
1: easy. I'm not selling the book from the website. Just go to Amazon, put in my name, Dinah Lynn, and it pops right up.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Dinah. really appreciate you coming on and sharing your inspiring story with us.
1: Oh, thank you, Kim. It's my pleasure. I love sharing my stories. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity.
0: If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it and support yourself while doing it. You can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to listen to it. You can tell your friends about it or share it on social media. And if you want more Me Time in your life, consider becoming a member of the Me Time Midlife community. This is my online community of like-minded and like-hearted women in midlife, who want to take charge of their life by cultivating their health, happiness, and purpose while building connections and friendships along the way. There are many benefits to joining, including monthly member-only Q&As with some of the experts you hear on the podcast. Plus, as a listener of the podcast, you get a special listener discount. Go to metimedlifepodcast.com to learn more. Again, thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.